that one. Welcome to Photography Chat with Merlin. Photography Chat with Merlin. I love the intro. Very cool. It feels very official. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, I decided to sort of switch things up for season three and uh, try and get a little more official. Um, nice. A friend of mine put that together for me, and I'm, I'm really grateful uh, to him for that. Um, yeah, but welcome to another episode of The Chat. Uh, it's season three, episode 44. And we got Iris with us. You want to take a moment to say hi to everyone? Yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, I love watching these. I watched Nick, uh, my friend Nick Collingwood's first. And uh, it was so, it's so nice to finally have like a podcast kind of that's in our field. I could never, like I found photo podcasts, but I never really found one that was like specifically like analog and traditional and that had like a wide variety of guests. So I'm very happy that you kind of brought together our little niche corner of the internet. Um, I'm really happy to be on here. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to have you on here. And um, yeah, I mean, I still have no plan or idea what I'm doing with this. Um, <laughs> it just kind of like happened by accident. And now I've been doing it for almost three years. Um, hey, happy accident. That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to keep doing them as long as uh, people um, agree to like, you know, come hang out with me for uh, for a little bit. And as long as people mm -hmm. keep watching. Um, John, she is sideways because of um, just her, her phone situation there. So we're going to be just yeah, a little. Yeah, sorry, guys. It's just the way it has to happen today or you guys would not be able to hear me. <laughs> no, it, it's all good. And then, like, you know, for the podcast people out there that won't see this uh, visually, um, you know, angles all over the place. So it yeah. kind of makes it fun. Um, a good uh, good morning to you also. Um, it's pretty dark where I am, so not quite morning. but um, Yep, you know. same here. Yeah. And you're in New York, right? Yes. Yeah, I'm in Brooklyn. Well, not at this moment, but I'm based in Brooklyn right now. I'm actually at my parents' house, which is one of the reasons why we're on this very interesting setup. Um, <laughs> but I've been visiting family. So very uh, improvised over here. <laughs> I mean, improvisation is the best sometimes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Plus, I'm just happy I could get on here. I've had a crazy month, so just really happy that I could make time. <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad that you could make it on here. Like it's, I, I know we've uh, tried to schedule uh, a couple yeah. of times and uh, you know, it, I'm happy that we're able to make it work. Yeah. So. It's been really wild. I moved from um, like New Jersey temporarily to Brooklyn um, and it was just like crazy. I don't know if anybody's been apartment hunting right now, but you know, I, my work is in New York, so I have to live there and it's just absolutely insane trying to find a place right now so <laughs> rentals are crazy everywhere um so yeah. crazy yeah it, it is it's um a crisis of sorts for sure there's a lot of people mm -hmm. having trouble with with homes and um affordability of them and stuff like it's and crazy competitive 
like insanely wow. competitive and, yeah. and some people get like really petty too like it's, oh, it's yeah. kind of crazy yeah betting wars is crazy <laughs> but happy to be here glad you're here so what kind of uh what, what got you into uh photography originally um yeah well i left high school super young um and i ended up picking up a lot of hobbies when i was you know kind of homeschooling myself and uh i had a class at, and this was a while ago i had a class at fit and it was over a summer program and, and fit is awesome i've actually taught there more recently um, I've done like guest speaker stuff for their pre-college program, which is where I started. And uh, I'm super grateful. They have an amazing pre-college department for like younger kind of teenagers, like 13, 14, 15. And so I ended up um, attending one of their basic digital photographic solutions or something like that. It was just digital and it was just like, what's aperture? What are F stops? Um, what does this mean? What does, what, what's producing these images? Lots of uh, solution-based stuff. And I thought it was fun. I didn't much care for it, <laughs> to be quite <laughs> honest, actually. Um, but then we had a photo essay assignment. And um, and I did a photo story about um, this girl who, you know, over time, she she's a trigger warning for, like, suicidal kind of uh, themes. Um she's in this bath and she goes every month she sits in her bath and she tries to drown herself. And I show the passage of time through clippings from the New York times of horrible, you know, tragedies and things that it would be impacting this person's mental health or anyone's mental health. It was kind of a, you know, you could insert kind of anyone in this situation in this scenario. And then, you know, when there's this big, massive, um, there's a big massive headline that says 100,000 deaths and she wears it like um, over her face like a mask and then like that's like the, the breaking point and that's when the photo essay ends. So it's about 10 sequential images and my teacher was very surprised because you know I was like really young and most kids don't like come up with that as their first photo essay. And I also just wasn't really like that into photography. You know, I didn't have any knowledge of photo history. And a lot of this is kind of, and now later I know a lot of these images were kind of referencing other things that I just hadn't seen yet. And, uh, and my photo teacher, Curtis Willock, who is amazing. He is my, one of my closest friends. He's like my family. Kind of was like, Hey, I think you should be in photography. Hmm. And, I was like, you know, this is just a hobby. I, I want to be in fashion because, you know, I, I was very young and I'd seen The Devil Wears Prada and, you know, all these different medias. And I was very sure that that's what I wanted to do. Um, and he was like, no, just like give it a shot. And so I started, you know, I got really lucky. I got a lot of scholarships to great classes, great workshops. And slowly I just started getting more and more involved with like the photo community. And after I guess about a year of studying kind of sporadically, um, and I just had like a Canon rebel and one lens and it was very sweet. I had no lighting. I just was doing like portraiture and like, you know, anything I could find. Um, like there was a hurricane and I documented that or whatever, like whatever was around me. And uh, I started getting really serious. And so I picked up my first 35 millimeter 
that Curtis gave me. Um, and I just shot one roll of HP five Ilford on governor's Island. And that was like the first roll. And I have it like, it's so fresh in my mind, even though this was a while ago. And, uh, it was just like, still like kind of very similar to, to like your work, which I love. It's just so like calm and, you know, really uses that like black and white texture. And, and I just like, I didn't even know I could produce photos like that. I didn't even know you could construct something with so much more than just a flat digital image. And, uh, I just was like, okay, this is, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. This is, I'm obsessed with this. And I just shot 36 exposures and what could I do with more than that. Like I was, it was like a world opening, which I think is like very common to hear, especially with people who are like in my generation, cause I'm generation Z, um, you know, people who didn't grow up, who grew up like in the digital age mm-hmm. where you did have cameras. I mean, our parents all had cameras, but they had the little digital kind of, you know, pixelated Canon or whatever. Um, and so I, I, you know, this is my first time being introduced to film outside of like cinema or like, you know, high art films, like call me by your name or something like that, you know? And, uh, and yeah, I just, from there, I, I did basically everything I could to become part of it. I borrowed cameras and I guess I didn't really start doing, you know, branching out, um, until a little bit later, I kind of just stuck with 35, but that's kind of what got me in just like that one role and realizing just how much more there was to photography that I hadn't even, you know, scratched the surface of. So, yeah. That's really cool. Thank you. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, you made a comment there uh, about being generation Z and like, you know, being in the digital age and stuff. Yeah. Um, what like I, I guess maybe some of the attraction could be because like you know, your your generation hasn't grown up with a lot of tangibility of things because like it's yeah. been a lot of like um like with digital instant gratification like all that that kind of yeah. stuff and so like um which part of it like for film like uh, for you drew you into it that was like really different from um your prior experiences with with um you know, things in the world around you before? Yeah. Um, I think that just like in a more general sense, you know, I think there is something very tangible about, you know, loading up the camera and hearing these sounds, the shutter. If you have a Hasselblad, like I shoot on now, you know, like the 500 C sound, you know, that sound it's, <laughs> it's amazing. It's very, it's a full experience. And, uh, I think that that's alluring to anyone like just this, like, you know, ASMR is a real thing, right? Like Mm -hmm. sure. It's a YouTube genre, but also it's an auditory response that we have. Um, and I think that's kind of, it, it just adds a layer to be like, this is so much more than hearing a beep beep like of the shutter. And, uh, it kind of slows you down and it makes you feel more like you're taking pictures and switching out roles. It's not just this ambiguous card that has these images like in, you know, the cloud or on the disc. I mean, you can't hold that. You can hold the card, but you can't hold each individual image where, you know, I spend, you know, I have shoots where I'm doing editorial 
And at the end of the day, I have my 12 roles and I can say, look at what I did. Mm-hmm. And I think like in a very like basic, you know, human way, you're going to be like, that is, it feels so much more productive a lot of the time. It feels so much more, you know, easy to process um, when you feel like, okay, I have this specific thing I've done. And also just going more into that, like the process of shooting and having these physical negatives that you can hold and then make prints out of or make, you know, alternative uh, processes out of. So you do like cyanotypes. I love making cyanotypes, you know, stuff like that. It, it feels so much more involved. And when you're constantly, you know, hopping around from I'm seeing this digital thing, even like TV shows, you know, you consume, you binge content. I think sometimes shooting digitally, it feel, it, at least for me, it's a lot of the same way where I might shoot a thousand images, but I didn't feel like I shot a thousand images. Mm-hmm. I did shoot, I don't know, maybe 5,000 exposures in the last year. Something crazy. Um, on, I, that might be an overestimate, but also it could not be. Maybe it's more like 2,000. But my point is, I feel like I've shot that much. Like, I, I can really feel it. Um, and... I find a lot of value in that. I think it makes me more conscientious as an artist, conscientious of, you know, what I'm doing, conscientious of how I'm making images. And uh, I appreciate that. And I think um, I also can see how, you know, film has become very inaccessible. And I'm so grateful I've gotten amazing grants and I've gotten, you know, amazing scholarships. Um, but it makes me more grateful for the art that I make because I know that, you know, this was never an accessible thing for me, um, just in a baseline sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can respect that, okay, this was a medium that, you know, once upon a time you could get a roll of film for, you know, under $5. I'm sure there were stocks that were less than a dollar, you know? Um, and I do think like, being so much younger and in this industry, I have a much greater appreciation for what I can have and what I do, uh, you know, what I'm given. Well, you touched on an interesting thing there, the the importance of tangibility. And um, I have to admit, I'm a little bit jealous because um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to assume that um, you're, you're quite a bit younger than I am. Um, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Just going to go out on a limb there. Um, I didn't learn the importance of tangibility until um, like, you know, in, in relative time recently, um, Mm. which was like, I don't know, maybe eight years ago, uh, 10 years ago. And um, it was a boss of mine. Um, We were having a beer in Vancouver before he flew back to California. And um, he was talking to me about the importance of finding a tangible outlet because, um, Mm society is turned into this uh, world that is not healthy for us because Mm -hmm. so many of us spend all of this time doing intangible things and we commit all of this time to um, like imaginary things. Like we sit in front of a computer and like, you know, type out like documents and spreadsheets and fucking emails Mm -hmm. and all that kind of shit and, you know, you could spend eight, nine, 10, 12 hours doing that and have like literally nothing physical to show for. Yeah. 
Um, but exactly. You just feel like drained and empty. So he was like, you know, it's important to balance that with something tangible before you end up doing something drastic because you lose your mind. And yeah. um, he told me that and it took another couple of years for that to sort of like just sort of bounce around my head because <laughs> I'm not that clever before I understood what he meant by the tangibility thing. And it, it wasn't until I started shooting film when I moved to Toronto where I was like, okay, mm. I get this now because like, you know, you go take some shots and you, you hold the film and you're like, yeah, like this is what I did. I shot yeah. five rolls today, but I made this. Yeah. It's like, I made this. And then you have the excitement of like, okay, now I'm going to develop it and see if I fuck this up or not. But you know, <laughs> before you get there, you're like, you, you still have the satisfaction of like, I made this on yeah. these little things. I put images on them which is a cool thing. But then there's also the whole ritual of like, you know, what camera am I going to pick today? Like what kind of mood is it? What film do I want to put in it? And then like loading it and all that. And in the ASMR thing is interesting. So I'm like, I'm not a fancy Bronica guy or sorry. I'm not a fancy, um, Hasselblad guy. I'm a Bronica guy. Um, no, no shade to Hasselblad. They're beautiful machines. Um, Love mine, just, but I get it. Yeah. It, it's like, you Personal know, taste. Well, not so much even personal taste. It's like affordability. Like Yeah, you know, accessibility. Yeah. The Hasselblad is nowadays especially insane. Like I did not pay for my Hasselblad. I'm very, very lucky. Like I you know, most of my equipment, I'm so lucky to be in New York and be in the photo community. I, almost all of it's been donated to me. Um but That's really amazing. I could never like and again, like that is something I, I do think a lot about, like in this community, how if you're not kind of in New York and you have access to all these amazing grants and all these amazing scholarships, it is sometimes very inaccessible in a way. It definitely can be. Um, but also like the community is really wonderful for sharing. So it's like, that's how I got my Bronica was I didn't pay for it. Um, okay. it I got it given to me by a mentor, but mm-hmm. um probably a lot like the Hasselblad that thing has like one of the most satisfying um, firing noises because it Mm -hmm. has like this massive mirror that has to flap around. So you get this like flappy mirror shutter noise that. um, Yeah. It's awesome. It's a similar. Yeah. My (laughs) friends, a lot of them shoot Veronica and I love, even if like, cause I model, even if I'm not the one shooting on a set, just like realizing somebody's shooting analog and then hearing it, I'm like, my people, <laughs> you know, like that's mine. <laughs> that's my thing. Um, it's awesome. It, it is really cool. And like, there, there's a lot of like, um, sensory stuff with it too. Like depending on what, uh, cameras you're choosing. Cause like, you know, mm-hmm. different bodies and vintages and things like that have different feels to them and like sometimes Mm -hmm. even like smells depending on like you know what what condition the like you know leather or vulcanite or like whatever on it is at and like it's a really yeah yeah, my friends and I used to have a running joke about Polaroid packs and every time I would open a Polaroid (laughs) pack I would sniff it and you uh, gotta see if it's good chemicals exactly Yeah. yeah you can smell if it's fresh and you know if you've got an expired film um, that's what I tell them, but they, they think I'm crazy. But it, no, it is a very, like... You're it's, not crazy. It's so physical, not just in the, like, sounds of the camera, but even, yeah, the smell and 
So the dark room, you get a lot of smells in the dark room, even that stuff. It, it is like very grounding in a way. Um, I think it's like, you know, a lot of people now have trouble connecting with reality. Um, and it's nice to have something so, um, you know, intense in a way. Like I think photography can be really intense. Um, and, you know, it's nice to have that as an outlet, like you said earlier about, you know, having a tangible outlet. It's nice that it's, it's so, it gets so atmospheric being a photographer and being in traditional. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. JP says six, six, nine, baby, that stuff. When you get a good pack of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And then like the rock smell dot gif. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's definitely like that. When, when you like, when you're around a bunch of Polaroid people and you open one of those up, everyone's like, they, they can yep. smell, they can smell what, uh, the like bloodhound. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it, it's interesting. Like there, there's a lot of different feels and like, you know, I think that's what I like about it the most is like how visceral it is to, to, um, create with this medium. Like, uh, mm -hmm. I still use digital for plenty of things and, uh, I'm not going to say like one's better than the other and I'll never say that. Like they both have their places. Um, mm -hmm. but my, the thing that I dislike, um, yeah, old bellow smell hits different. That definitely is a, you know, that's got, my deer dwarf has a very unique smell to it. Um, mm. yeah, there's just, I don't know, digital is a little too clinical, so it, it just doesn't yeah. feel as fun. Like it's, it works for some things, but, um, I don't know, I just always have more fun. When I shoot, film. I think uh, I think sometimes I associate digital with work because a lot of the freelance stuff, you know, I'll, I'll be shooting models or I'll be shooting, you know, images for digitals for a casting or whatever, and uh, it it does like I think subconsciously I have a tie between digital means work and film means fun. Mm. Even when I'm, you know, I've had projects commissioned where I like one of my favorite projects was for a really small band. And I had to, I, I shot the sunrise at Coney Island on Polaroid. And then I shot the sunset um, from governor's Island over the statue of Liberty um, on Polaroid. And it was for like two adjacent album covers for like singles and, you know, and, um, and that hasn't come out yet, but, something like that where it was a lot of work. I stayed up for 24 hours. I was at Coney Island 5 a.m. with my Polaroid freezing cold, but like something like that. It's just so fun because it, there was so much unknown. Like I was having a blast and then I got to, you know, place around so much with, I was using SX-70 and kind of SX-70, especially now can be really unpredictable, especially mm -hmm. with like, you know, batches, inconsistencies, and it was just felt like a game. And I was, you know, doing all these really technical things that I wouldn't be doing if I was shooting digitally. I was bracketing and really getting so precise with everything. Um, and that was like one of my longer work days, but it didn't feel like it. And uh, I think, I think like those of us who can have our jobs be part of that is like it makes our work way more fun um and i always am really happy when i get a job where they're like here you specialize in analog we want to take advantage of that we want to you know we have this really specific concept and we want 
to invoke nostalgia or, you know, whatever specific thing, or they're referencing something. I love when brands want me to reference like iconic photographers. Like I, I've got a lot of like Annie Leibovitz lately and being like, okay, we're like super into Annie Leibovitz. Like, do you think you could do like a twist on something? Um, and I think that makes work just so much more enjoyable, so much more fun. And, uh, yeah, I'm really lucky. That's really awesome. It, it sounds like you've been able to be exposed to a lot of cool projects so far. Yeah, I'm really lucky. I, I And I love, I hate Instagram, but I love the people <laughs> I meet here because a lot of these projects are people who found me on Instagram and found my website and were like, oh my God, I want this for my personal collection. Oh or I want this for my end and it's something so specific and it does feel like you're creating something. Well, yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. I've, I've talked about this, this kind of thing before on, on the uh, chat is um, that's the right way to use Instagram is just for like connecting with people like yeah. using it as a platform to share and like, you know, get all of the kind of traction and shit. It's, that's not really what it's for, but like if you can leverage it to like connect and communicate with like mm-hmm. people and have it as a tool, then you're going to enjoy the experience of it a lot more um, and exactly. get much more like um, rich and fruitful connections with people. Like that's, I, I kind of gave up on the whole like, you know, stacking up followers and getting all of the engagement and shit like a few years mm-hmm. back. And I've just used it to like um, chat with people in the community and connect with them on, on this. And mm-hmm. um, ever since I started doing that, like, you know, I, I don't feel shitty about Instagram. It's like a, a cool tool to do the chat and, you know, keep in touch with my pals and meet new photo pals. Yeah. I, I hope that I get to that point. I do still like get kind of, annoyed with the algorithm and I know a lot of my like other friends who who have much bigger followers followings than me um we talk about it a lot because it's like it it is like such a the app has really gone down and it is kind of so frustrating when you're like I want people to see this project and I have it linked and if they see the post they can see the full project Mm -hmm. and maybe you know they'll be interested in this but we can talk about it and uh it does sucks that like Instagram as an app is kind of deteriorated. Um, but I am like, I'm kind of torn, right? I'm like, Oh my God, I want, I want there to be high engagement. I want people to see myself. But at the same time, it's like, well, either way I am getting something out of it. You know, I've met so many people just because of mutuals and they're like, Oh my Mm -hmm. God, this is so cool. Let's talk about it. Um, and also being a model, you know, they, they, a lot of the time you're expected to have this yeah. higher following, or at least if you don't have a, you know, if you're under 5k or 10k, have good engagement yeah. <laughs> and, and that does help you get jobs. So it, it's kind of like always a back and forth for me, but I'm happy that like a lot of people, it seems like are kind of moving away from just using Instagram as this kind of superficial, like performance we're all kind of trying i think to be a little more realistic and use it in healthier ways like to connect with people or to share something or you know and i love that they got rid of likes like you can yeah. turn them off i think that that is so smart and 
I think they should have done that originally. I think it should be your choice if you, you know, want that shown because brands and, and uh, clients, they can be so judgmental about analytics uh, yeah. when they just see, you know, one part of it. Um, so that makes me happy. I think that's making the mental health side, like it, even something so small as that makes me happy easier to be on. Well, I think a big part of the problem with like that whole like analytics algorithm part of it is when you see those people that have like mad followers, how many of them bought that? Mm. Like probably a lot of them. And so it's like, I I was, I got obsessed for, for a while to like, I I needed to get to 10 K cause I wanted to be able to share links. That was really it. Um, because yeah. before like, you know, now anyone can share links, but before yep, you had I to remember. be 10 K and so yep. I was like, I need to get to 10 K so I could do that. So annoying. It I was, hated it. It was super annoying. And then I got like, it, it made everything so toxic and shitty because I was just like, well, fuck, like this guy has like 20 K and this, this shit sucks. And then like yeah. you find out it's like, it's probably a bunch of bots. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there's all those people's like, Oh, like for 50 bucks, you could get like, you know, a hundred thousand followers. And then it's just like, well, this is mm-hmm. just like fucking ruin shit because like, you know, there's a lot of dishonesty out there with, with yeah. people. And even some of the, like the trusted folks out there where it's like, you know, you dig their work and stuff, but it's like you bought followers. Like, you know, yeah, you can't say this shit's organic. Like, you know, that's, it's not, it's not realistic. I, when I was a kid, like when Instagram was just starting, probably like, and it was like 2013, I, I had a nail art account and nobody's ever going to see this account. You cannot find it. I have scrubbed it from the internet. Okay. It was very embarrassing, <laughs> but I thought I was so cool. Um, and I did look at those, you know, with like my parents' credit card, looking at this. And like, this is like funny, but also like, it's interesting to see how like people my age, like a lot of them have done this, where you're looking at those offers being like 10,000 followers, you know, for, and it's probably most of it's a scam. That's the other thing. Half the time you're not even, and it's just like, this is so stupid. Like, what if I had spent like $200, like if I hadn't had better decision-making skills at whatever age I was, like, I just, I hate that like that even was like a thing that you'd consider and a thing that a lot of people consider. And, uh, it's kind of an interesting, it's interesting to see the effect even in like such a small sense, even on yourself. It it is. And like the, the biggest thing that like dissuaded me from doing it was, um, I was like, at some point Instagram might crack down on this kind of shit. Cause like mm. they, they've got to like be able to see in the back end that you went from 500 followers to like 30,000 followers, like, you know, over like a couple of days or a couple of weeks kind yeah. of thing. It's like, yeah, no, that's not like organic growth. And, you know, I, I was thinking like, well, shit, maybe they'll start like banning or like kicking out those accounts that like did those kinds of things. And it's like, I've had my account since six months after Instagram launched. And so it's like, you know, when I think about like the possibility of losing my account and I don't have a ton of followers, but it's just like losing everything that I put into it. Cause like, you know, there's the last like fucking 10 years of my life or so 
or more, I don't know, something like that, 10 or 12 years of my life that's posted on this thing to have it just like vanish because I like, you know, was being egotistical for a minute and paid 30 bucks Mm -hmm. to some hacker to like, you know, prop me up a little bit because I felt sad about myself. Seemed like (laughs) a total, total waste. Um, But then that was like thinking about that stuff made me start thinking more about like, okay, well, it's not about how many followers you have, but more about how you engage <clears throat> how you engage with the followers you do have and yeah. what you offer to the the people that you you have there and also who you follow as well too um because yeah. that, that's an interesting where people are like oh well instagram is so toxic and like i don't like what i see it makes me feel bad and it's like okay but you pick that like you're seeing yeah. that because you you followed, you followed them. Yeah. And I, I, one of my friends, Naomi, is on here right now. And I'm going to talk about her for a second because <laughs> she has the most amazing advice for Instagram. She's also, you know, she's not um, in photo, but she's in fashion and marketing and branding. And she's brilliant. And she talks so much just about unfollowing people and muting people. Yeah. And she encourages her own followers to unfollow if they don't like her content. And I think that is so like refreshing. And I started doing it. Like sometimes I, I would notice I just have people like I'm following. I'm like, why am I doing this? I am miserable seeing this. I feel yeah. awful about myself. Cause I've especially like, you know, I modeled from a very young age and a lot of times I would follow people either who I'd worked with or just, you know, through agencies. And I was like, this makes me feel awful about myself and I'm not doing anyone any favors by following somebody to make me feel awful about myself. Um, and, I, and I would, you know, give anyone who followed me the same advice. Like if, if I make you feel bad, don't follow me, please. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I think that really changed my perspective. And that's why, like, I used to follow, like, I don't know, 1500 people. And now I follow like 800 and most of them I know and I'm close with and make me happy to see their content. And when I see it, I'm like, oh, great, this, my friend just created a great new project. I can't wait to see it. Mm-hmm. Or my friend's having a gallery opening or, you know, one of my friends just had a film debut and I got to see the the invite. And, like, that's what's important. Like, I don't want to see anything else, really. Um, so I just, I wanted to shout her out. She's Nazo Bar on Instagram. Well, and Everybody should follow her. Let's give her a round of She's applause. Awesome. Yeah. Go Naomi. Give her a follow. <clears throat> But yeah, like that's that's the point is is reframing um, how you use it and, and how you interact with it and yeah. making it something good because um, it, it has so much potential to be good. And, and like the people are like, oh, Instagram's deteriorating and, and yeah, it's not for photographers. It never was for photographers. Yeah. And, and I think that's something that a lot of people forget is that like when they b- built Instagram, they didn't give a fuck about photographers. It was just for people to like, you know, check out the food I'm eating. Look at my <laughs> dog. You know, exactly. I'm in. Yeah. Paris. That's, a, that's a big myth. Uh, like people misconstrue that a lot. I don't blame them because for a time I think Instagram was good for artists. It, yeah. it worked. I think there was a brief period. Now I would say maybe from the 2016 to 2018 range, I think there were a couple good years where just the algorithm kind of favored you. And, and I think it was easier to see people you were interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, yeah, like I, I, you know, they're starting granary. Um, that's a whole thing. 
and you know, granary yeah. is going to be specifically for like analog photos. And it's like, I think that people forget that like, you know, Instagram was never for that. So to have that, you want to, you're going to have to build something from scratch to really get something that's so catered to, you know, just photo. And I'm, I, you know, I have, I like granary. I, I, I'm still, you know, waiting for them to come out with their, their own app and kind of do more beta testing. Mm-hmm. But I think like, I like the idea of being like, okay, Instagram wasn't built specifically for us. So if, if there's a demand for that, let's make an app that is. Yeah. Um, like I think at the very least the idea and, and the concept behind that is great. Um, and I'm glad that people are finally realizing like, Oh wait, this Instagram is never a photography app. Um, you know, the first people on it were like the Kardashians. Um, not, you know, and a bunch of analog photographers and that's okay. No. And it, it, you know, this is how it is. The world works in uh, the 2010 Kardashians were everything. Um, so I think, I think that's a good perspective that I don't hear a lot in our community. A lot of the time people are just like, Oh, Instagram isn't for us anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I, I, I would have like a different take on that where it's like, okay, fair enough. The Instagram doesn't favor anymore because they constantly have to, or sorry, the algorithm doesn't favor anymore because they, they have to tweak it and update it. Cause like everything has to change a little bit. Um, the thing is though, people just got used to a machine doing work for them mm-hmm. and they didn't have to put the work in. All they had to do is post and like throw the right hashtags in there and it's like done. That's it. No That's more effort. True. And so That's it's like, true. you know, we've all become collectively more lazy because of the technology around us. And it's like, oh my God, I have to put yeah. a little bit more work in. This sucks. I yeah. want something else. It's like, you know, just shut the fuck up, put a little bit of extra work in and you can still get a lot of value out of it. Like, yeah. you know, this is a lot of work to put this together and like, I, mm-hmm. I still do it and, um, you know, it's, it's worth it for me for what I get out of it. Um, because it's easy though. That's, that's the thing. That's the magic of Instagram is that mm-hmm. it's fucking easy. You want yeah. you want to post a picture? Okay, you post a picture. The chat yeah. the chat would have never happened if it wasn't for how easy it is to go on a live and pull someone into it because it was yeah. easy. Like if I had to do all the regular podcast shit, which I'm doing now, but like if I had to do that, you know, three years ago when I was on the tail end of a brain injury and all this stuff, I would have never mm-hmm. did it because it wasn't easy. And that's the magic of Instagram is everything about it is so easy and it's like effortless and you can just Mm -hmm. get into it and immediately connect with people i'm not going to discredit granary at all it's kind of cool i kind of forgot about it already until you mentioned it again (laughs) i have an account on it and i tried to post i really tried to give it a good shot but yeah i don't like that before you could even do anything you have to like fucking jerk off about your gear on there because I hate yeah. having gear conversations. And then I also really dislike that for like fucking posting, you have to put all your gear in. And I'm like, dude, I've shot like so much shit over the last few years that like. You're when, not going to remember. Yeah. And I yeah. don't catalog all that. I'm like a terrible person with like archiving that shit. So it's like, yeah. if it's something that I shot, not this year, I don't know what it is. I just know it's color and black and white. 
you know, I don't know what film it was. I don't know what camera I owned at that time that I shot it on. So it's just like, well, fuck, like it's just, it's not easy. There's so much extra work there. And for what to be like, Oh, I'm better because I shot this on film. I have a Leica. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) I, I have a Leica or like, you know, I shot this on like a fancy pants camera with like a $10,000 lens. And it's like, cool. Good for you. The yeah. gear, the gear doesn't make a fucking difference, though. Like, yeah, you know, I have this little piece of shit Lamography simple mm-hmm. use camera, and this is one of my favorite cameras to shoot with. Um, yeah, it's so great. I I, I shoot Cinestill eight hundred T in this all the time. <laughs> I bet it's actually, yeah, I, I shoot like really expensive. Like, I'll be doing like Selvia and my Holga, and it's a, amazing. Yeah. I mean, I think that. I think that the thing about granary is like, like I was kind of getting onto earlier, it, it's the concept and the idea behind it. I'm very into, mm-hmm. I like having a specific space dedicated or a specific app or whatever dedicated to, okay, we're all photographers. We just want to look at beautiful film images. Yeah. Or we just want to like learn more or see, you know, whatever. And I think certain parts of it, like, uh, like having the film stocks, you know, I, I like doing that. Like, I like that you can go to the tab and be like, okay, I want to see all these images shot with 800T because I kind of want to see like how far this film can be stretched. Maybe I'll get some inspiration. Yeah. Like that stuff can be cool. But I think, you know, making it so rigid, I think that's one of the problems with it is it is so. Oh, she'll be back. Um, there we go. Oh, crap. Did it, did it, uh, black out for it, a sec? It, it glitched out for a sec, but now you're back. You were talking about it being okay. so rigid. Yeah. I think that if the app had a more flexible structure where a lot of these features were optional or, you know, it was yeah. just streamlined a bit. And like you said, making it easy and accessible, I think having a designated space could be great. I just think like they have a lot of work, but I'm still very hopeful for when the app comes out and hopefully, you know, like, it, could, it will become a space where you can just find other people who are into something so niche and you can be like, wow, I just, I love looking through this person's archives. You know, that's kind of mm-hmm. how I use it. I, I'm very picky about my project. So it was really nice to be able to put in outtakes and be like, this is not the most perfect image ever. And I'm okay with that. It's still something I want to share. It's still something I made. It's still whatever. Um, and uh, I think it could be great. So I'm still saying optimistic about it. I think I, I think it could now. be great too, um, but longevity is is a, an interesting point you make there because um, there's no guarantee on the longevity of of a project that's run by one person. Um, yeah that's trying to fund it on their own and then also getting people to pay for it early on. Like I. If I'm going to get on something where I'm going to invest time and energy to curate something, I don't want to pay for an experiment. So yeah, that, that also made me a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, Was that already trying to get money out of people to like, you know, be Guinea pigs for this thing. And like, you know, and then also like I'm invested in Instagram. So it's like, if I'm going to post somewhere, I'm going to post here because it's easy. And like, one of the things that I find fascinating about Instagram that I think a lot of people also like overlook is um, 
it's surprisingly is one of the most democratic social media platforms that exists right now. Mm. Like we have a lot more say on the platform than I think people realize we do because there's been a few times where Instagram has tried to make huge wholesale changes that the broad community was like, nah, fuck this. We don't like it. And then Instagram's like, Oh shit, just kidding. Sorry. And they're like, it was, yeah, I remember there were a couple things where like it would switch around because people were so upset. Um, which is a good thing. Yeah. (laughs) I'm glad. Yeah. I think we take that a little bit for granted and I'm glad that, that we have that so far. I find that, kind of magical about like the community as a, as a whole that I don't think any other social media platform will bend to the people like Instagram has to us. Like yeah. you know, when, when people complain about Facebook and so even though Instagram's owned by meta, people complain about Facebook and Facebook's like, go fuck yourself. We're Facebook. Yeah. Um, you know, any of the like Twitter, like whatever, that's a oh, whole yeah. dumpster Twitter fire now. The whole thing. <laughs> I mean, Twitter. <laughs> like it's it's all I kind of a go mess. On that app. I'm too scared. <laughs> oh, dude, it's it's such a such a mess. But like, yeah. Insta- Instagram is a really interesting community because it's just it's just people sharing things. That's yeah. it. Like, there's no other shtick to it. Like it's, um, I don't know, it, there's, there's a kind of beauty to it and I see them reacting to stuff too. So it's like, you know, Granary comes out and Granary has a web interface, only the web interface so that people Mm -hmm. can like upload and do things on the web interface. And that's one Mm -hmm. thing people have been complaining about Instagram for years is -hmm. that the web interface is pretty weak and it doesn't let you do things. And then I noticed like a couple weeks ago they updated the web interface and now you can post from the web interface and it's, yeah. it's a cleaner UI. And I'm like, is this a, is this them adjusting because of granary or like, you know, they're like, Oh shit, this might get some wings and like yeah. you know, pull, pull people away. So it's, it's kind of interesting seeing little things like that. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I think they care about the user base a lot more than people think they do. Um, yeah, it just shows in different ways. That's really interesting. I, I never noticed that, but now that you say it, it, it is interesting. With like, I seeing how the response to granary, just in general, how people were very, very into it, you know, and and how um, people have been very negative towards Instagram recently. I think kind of what's happening with Twitter is kind of drawn away from that. Yeah, um, like I, I've seen it like kind of go down. Um, but it is interesting that, you know, they have made changes and and I'm like, I'm glad that, um, they are because, you know, I haven't been on the app quite as long as you, but you know, um, like one of my close friends, he's always like, you know, the way you maintain your Instagram, it's kind of like a cult thing, like not like cult, like, but you know, like cult classic kind of very specific. And, And I do kind of like put in a lot of work, you know, I'm very into colors and uh, grids and Mm -hmm. color matching. And I think that in some alternative universe, I'm a graphic designer. Um, (laughs) That's cool though. But I, you know, I didn't even realize like I put in so much time and effort into like making my grid look beautiful and making these posts like very curated, almost like I'm in a gallery. Um, And I think that, 
it would be hard to leave Instagram um, because of all that time and effort. Um, and I think that's, I think that the longevity of Instagram, especially, and, and a lot of people, I think, feel the same way because of that and because of how much time and energy, especially artists, have put into it and put into their feeds and put into curation. I think that it, it's going to outlast um, a lot of things. Let me put it that way. Yeah. A- absolutely. Like, that. that's the thing. We've gotten so used to it. And like yeah. people have built their whole workflows around it. And um, like, like for me, I suck at curating. So like, I, I think I'm at like 7,500 posts now or something where oh, I'm yeah. at now. Um, sorry, 7,408 posts. Um, wow. I tried to go back in time and delete stuff and I gave up. It was just like, it's too much work. Like, yeah, it just, I'm like, whatever. If someone wants to take the like 10 minutes it fucking takes to scroll to the bottom and like stock what my life used to be like, all the more power to them. Um, I could never do that. <laughs> I don't want people to know. <laughs> well, I, I thank God for archiving. <laughs> I, my archives, they're scary. No, that's fair. Like, um, I, I kind of like it though, because, um, positive things, negative things, horrible things, amazing things that have happened to me are all part of who I am. And they're all represented in this thing that's existed for like the last, like, you know, decade plus. Um, yeah. And so it's just like, it's a very honest snapshot of who I've been good and bad. And yeah. um, it's kind of cool that it exists out there and that some assholes paying for it to live on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> like I've, I, I, this has got to consume a ton of fucking data space somewhere. Like all of this. Oh yeah. And oh it's, yeah, it's really interesting to think about, especially Instagram and YouTube specifically. Yeah. How is all of this existing and working? Um, it's like a real mind fuck, honestly. Ad revenue, <laughs> like that. That's the yeah. that's a big thing. But you know, they've also. They've, they've created mechanisms for us to get out there and creatively express ourselves without having to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like an amazing thing where, you know, they've given people who want to take that effort the tools to go out there and like, you know, share their imagery, share their video, share their stories um, yeah. in a multitude of different ways where you know, it's a low barrier of entry. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've seen some people do amazing work with just an iPhone and like recording videos and like editing them in like iMovie on their phone and uploading mm-hmm. them into YouTube. And I'm like, even if I hired a production company, I don't think I could make shit as good as this. Like, you know, some people yeah, are just that, geniuses. Yeah, that is really great to see. It makes yeah. me really happy. It's nice that, that that's so accessible. I mean, and to a, a certain extent. So one thing on, on the technology question that I'm, I'm curious to ask you, cause you're really into aesthetics and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about like this, um, sort of uprise of digital art with AI? It's a great question. Um, to be honest, is it my personal thing? No, 
Um, and that's okay. Like, I don't think anything has to be to everyone's taste. I think, I think that the argument that like digital art with AI is like not art at all. I don't, I don't agree with that. I think that, you know, I think that the definition of art can be really flexible and, and can be extended. I just, personally, you know, I want to be interdisciplinary. I want to get a BFA in art, not in photography. I've studied photography. I've, you know, graduated from programs, but when I get my BFA, I want to do programs that are delving into everything. But I do think like I will specifically have trouble getting into something like that Mm -hmm. um, because I'm so not only because I'm so deeply in analog, but also because if I'm not in analog, you know, I'm, I'm drawing and I'm, you know, doing sculpture and I, that, that's what I'm interested in. Um, and I do have a hard time connecting with something like that. Um, even, you know, something like animation or, you know, something less based in AI. Although I, I guess, eventually animation will have AI integrated. Maybe it still, it does now. I don't know enough about it, but my point is like, I, as somebody who's trying to be interdisciplinary, it is hard to imagine getting into those things even. So does that make sense? It it, it does make sense. Um, Yeah. I I was like, you, you made an interesting point though, where like the, the people that don't believe it's, it's like art using it. Yeah. I also have to disagree with that too, because, um, you know, you look at like, I'm just, I'm thinking of him cause he passed away recently, but Rodney Graham, mm-hmm. you know, he was credited for all these brilliant photographs that he never took. He was just the creative mm-hmm. behind the photographs and he would yeah. hire photographers to do the photos for him but he would like set up the scene and do all the creative and he would be the subject in, in these photos, but Mm -hmm. he never pushed a shutter. Like it was always Mm -hmm. someone else, but they were his photos because it was his creative. Mm -hmm. So it's like these photographers get no mention, no credit, nothing in these photos because they're his photos. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's kind of like when I think about like, I'm, I'm, I've been delving into like the Dolly stuff a little bit, which is, it, it's kind of a fascinating tool. Um, but it reminded me of like that kind of thing where it's like, you're telling something, a creative direction that you want to go and then it's making it for you. And um, now you can like import your own photos and stuff into it. So I haven't played with that much yet, but it'd be kind of interesting mm-hmm. to take some of like my film photos and like drop them in there and like, you know, make it do some yeah. weird shit with them. I think we're going to have to see where it goes. Yeah. You know, I don't think anything's definitive yet. And I also don't think, I mean, I, I, my personal opinion is that there is going to be, you know, another exponential technological kind of shift in the next decade, 12, maybe 20 years, 30 years. Um, kind of like the boom in the early 2000s and, you know, especially the early 2010s. But I... I think that probably most of our perceptions of what art is and, um, you know, how 
we view the way art is made differently, um, especially when you're getting computers involved and AI involved. I think that everyone's perspectives on art is going to really change and evolve. And I don't know if it's going to be a good thing or a bad thing, but I think it is interesting to talk about, especially because we don't know quite yet what's going to happen. I mean, we can definitely predict it and it is pretty clear that there's going to be some exponential change. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. And uh, I think it's really interesting, especially since uh, usually I'm talking about it with people who are in traditional processes and in analog photography. So we have already kind of a preset bias. Have we talked about crypto yet? <laughs> I know nothing about crypto. <laughs> Don't ask me anything. How, how, do nothing. You, how do you feel about NFTs? Oh my God. I don't understand them. I keep waiting for some like bro to explain them to me. No, no, don't and, ask. Don't ask for that. Don't put that. I, but I'm scared. <laughs> yeah. Don't put that energy the out same there. Time. <laughs> You'll get some like hyped up guy that likes bro Rogan. That'll like fucking bend your ear. Oh my about God. Crypto for, I'll, like... I'll be, you know, walking on the lower east side, just trying to get to CRC just innocently. And then, <laughs> Yeah, maybe I shouldn't put that out there, but no, I, I don't understand MS, M, N, oh, NFTs. I can't even say it. Um, and I don't understand the allure. Like I, I've read the definition online and I just, it makes no sense to me. Um, but, you know, people are buying them. There's clearly a consumer demand. I just don't get it. It just is not really my thing so far. But again, who knows? In 10 years, maybe I'll be like, oh my God, look at this new NFT I got. I don't know. I kind of like, I don't understand crypto either. Um, yeah. I had a bunch of friends like talk to me about it, like when it was like in its baby states, like fucking 10 plus years ago and they're like mm-hmm. check out my minor and i'm like whatever nerd um <laughs> and then like you know they made a shit ton of money off of it i'm like fuck yeah i should listen <laughs> to those guys um nfts are like an add-on to something that's already fucked like yeah cri- crypto is kind of fucked right now people are losing tons of money on it and they're like hey how i can- saw that i know i know that yeah. Yeah, and they're like, "Hey, how can we like take this thing that everyone knows is bad now, but like have the same thing but make it different so people start spending money on it again?" Oh, let's mm-hmm. call it NFTs and then we'll it's sell repackaged art. Repackaged a yeah. little. It's yeah. just like more shit and kind of douchey. Like they just there's like a fucking new gallery here in Vancouver that opened up that's like a virtual NFT gallery and it's just a bunch of TV screens. And I'm like, sure there's something like that on the Lower East Side right now. Oh, probably. Um, there definitely is. I would swear on it. I mean, seriously. And I just don't, I, I see that as kind of a waste, especially when it's something already virtual. Yeah. That's now taking up physical space away from like, you know, anything that couldn't be displayed virtually. It just doesn't really make sense to me. Like I I don't usually have strong opinions on stuff like that, but something so specifically virtual and, you know, it's accessible virtually and then taking up a physical space that, you know, like anything else that can't be virtual would take up. That is disappointing to me. And that is kind of sad to see. And, uh, and I know it's happening a lot in New York. Um, and just in general, like, 
this city is kind of a mess right now. Mm. And, you know, it's interesting seeing, you know, people change and uh, the neighborhoods change. And because I've lived in New York for quite a while and, like, I feel like I grew up there, honestly. Um, even though a lot of the time, you know, I was commuting every day, I still consider myself to have kind of grown up there. And it is interesting to see how these, like, these online kind of, these virtual things are affecting, like, our um, our atmosphere. And uh, it, it's interesting. It's a little sad, but interesting nonetheless. It is kind of sad. Yeah. Uh, especially since someone proved that like NFTs are not non-fungible at all. They're definitely fungible. Um, yeah. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's like another fucking pyramid scheme. Like, I don't know. Why can't we just go <laughs> yeah. back to like selling like Amway or Mary Kay or some shit like that? Like, you know, it's just like pyramid schemes for art. God, the good old days. <laughs> there you go. Classic <laughs> pyramid schemes. Now we're missing those. <laughs> All what right. is the world come to? So <laughs> AI art, kind of like a thumbs up, NFTs, thumbs yeah. down. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. We'll give uh, NFTs the, uh, this one. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I approve that. Definitely. Thank you. So with all the projects you've got going on, what's been mm-hmm. one of your most favorite projects you've ever worked on? Huh, that's a hard question. Um, you know, I, this isn't technically a project, but, um, you know, I modeled a lot. I modeled since I was 13 is when I started doing freelance modeling and I was, you know, managing myself basically. And I started doing self-portraiture when I got into photography and, and what drew me to self-portraiture was, you know, I could control images of myself, which I'd never had before. Even on something like a phone, I don't feel like you get to see yourself in a realistic way. Um, you know, not just even talking about warping, but pixelation and just, you know, it's a phone. Um, but when I started, you know, playing around with different cameras and I was photographing myself with these different cameras and, and using a lot of the equipment I'd seen and getting to know it and using that on me. Um, I think that kind of became a project in itself where, you know, since I was 15, um, I was documenting myself, you know, growing up and changing and, you know, my, even like my relationships, I, I've pretty much documented every friendship and relationship I've had through self-portraiture. Um, and, and a lot of my images are archived and will never be shown, maybe at least not for the next 20 years, um, because I get so personal with it. And even though, you know, my self-portraiture has been a million different little projects, I kind of see it as like one huge ongoing um, project because at the end of the day, the subject is still the same thing. And even with, you know, I, I mix a lot of theatrical stuff into some of my more like small series. So I have like Juliet and Juliet, which is about this like fictional um, 
night with your lover and it's very dreamy and, and it pulls a lot of cinematic stuff. But the thing is, it, it, even though it, it is acting and the project wasn't with somebody I was dating, it was with one of my amazing friends, Ripley. You should follow her. Um, but a lot of it was reflections of, you know, what I wanted out of a relationship, how I wanted something to look at that time or how I saw you know, media and what I wanted media to look like. And I think if you're going to be the subject in your photos, it, it's still going to, you know, um, really change the perspective. And uh, I think it kind of, there's a thread between all of those projects, you know, however many, maybe hundreds, who knows at this point, I photograph so much and I have photographed so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I'd say like that is my biggest and, and favorite project. And I, I don't think I'll ever stop it. You know, um, even like the other day I was just, uh, you know, humming along to myself, I guess I was maybe like showering or something. And I got this whole idea for this self portrait mixed with a nursery rhyme. And it's just stuff like that, where it's like, I, I you get to see the evolution of, of my perspective on myself, on, know all these different things and uh and it's really interesting and and i i like hearing people's responses to it as well you know i'll show them like self-portraits from you know like multiple years jacked up against each other and it's interesting to hear commentary on those and hear how other people perceive me from how i perceive me it's a very uh it's a very i don't want to say meta but it's like it's very, um, it's a very specific experience, but I do, I do think that's kind of the most, uh, important project for me, especially because of like, you know, the life events I've been through and the experiences I've had. Um, and I think that, you know, without self-portraiture, if I'd never gone down that route, I would not have the I don't want to say success but in a way yes like all of my you know my gallery features have been self-portraiture and um all of my really you know amazing things oh sorry your your audio dropped out there for a minute hey uh somebody connected one of my my friends connected to my phone um <laughs> i'm back sorry about we, that we lost you um, in a gallery your self-portraiture got oh, you in galleries okay. yeah so it, it, like you know it's gotten me in galleries and it's gotten you know really amazing things said about my work and i appreciate that but also you know um the recognition i've gotten for it has also gotten me some of my favorite projects and uh you know, I've gotten to collaborate with people because of this work and I don't think I would be half the artist I am without it. Like, I think it's really, uh, you know, the, the work I am most passionate about. And I think it's really interesting seeing, especially the history of self-portraiture and not just like Francesca Woodwin and Vivian Mayer and, and these people, but also like these unknown women who photograph themselves in their mirrors with, you know, the first um, SLR cameras and stuff like that. Like it's, it's so rich. And, um, I, I think it's really, 
it feels like you're part of something while also reflecting on yourself. And I think that's really unique. And I think especially, you know, other models that I know who have had similar experiences and who've gone to self-portraiture, I think there's something very therapeutic about photographing yourself and, you know, having this control over images of yourself. And I think it's a really unique part of photography. So I think that that is my most important and the project I love the most. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I, I can feel the whole thing of like having photos that you've made that like won't see the light of day for most people. Um, yeah. I've got a ton of projects like that where it's just like, it's stuff I'm really proud of and I really dig, but you know, it's either not the right time or it was too personal between me and another person where it was just like, I don't want to put that out in the world because it's not for the world. It was just for like, you know, me and that person kind of thing. Yeah. Um, And then stuff that just feels like too personal for, for me too. But it's cool to have that work because like maybe one day, you know. Exactly. And I don't regret making any of my work, especially my self-portraiture work, even with people who, you know, I didn't end up with or it didn't turn out well in a friendship or, you know, et cetera. I think that work has been personally the most important for me. I think actually my best images are one that are pro- ones that are probably never going to be seen or won't be seen for a long time because, uh, you know, a lot of the time, like I, I think that our best work is connected to passion and, you know, connecting to other people. And, uh, I think it's a really interesting topic images that, you know, aren't seen or aren't made to be seen. Yeah. Um, I think that's really fascinating. It It is really fascinating. Cause like, um, you know, there's this thought like when you're, when you're doing like photography that like the goal is to like make these images to just like, you know, share and get like, you know, people mm-hmm. to like them, especially in like the world today where it's like, you know, you got to take the, the best, um, the best photo of a gas station on Cinestill so you can get the most likes on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, oh, I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a running joke because it's true. Like you know, and, and yeah, who isn't guilty of like getting some neon on Cinestill or a car or a gas station or something? We've all committed that sin. A few I times. mean, it's a gorgeous film stock. Like, I don't blame you, but it yeah. is a really different creating an image like that versus an image that's never going to be seen ever. Or yeah, maybe. And in an image where when you look at it, you're like, holy shit, like Mm -hmm. I made that and like it, sometimes they almost like haunt you a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I have one project that I'm, uh, I'm writing a manuscript and it's full of vignettes that are in not a lot of my stuff is auto fiction, even my self portraits, you know, a lot of it is dramatized versions of myself um sometimes it's mixed with writing and that writing is dramatized but almost all of it is based in truth and um you know it's very interesting because one of these people who inspired a lot of what this novel is um 
like my self portraits with them, I will probably put in this book that I probably won't release for another decade, you know? And it's very interesting. Uh, having images that you are so confident in, in their longevity, having these like really long-term ideas with them, creating off of images in other ways, you know, having writing with them. Um, and uh, I think that's something that like isn't explored as commonly at this point. Like I, I hope it is, but I, I don't really see it. Um, I think bookmaking is in a lot of ways, you know, I worry that it's going to become a lost art. Um, I don't know if it is. I really hope it isn't. But I think that I hope that more people start to create again with the intention of not sharing. And maybe you do share it eventually. Maybe you don't. But that's not the first intention. Um, that's not the priority. Yeah. yeah. Well, because I think when you create without that drive of getting approval it changes what you're making and yeah i i don't like none of my photos i take with the thought of like oh if i shoot this i'm gonna get so many likes and like you know maybe this will get me like you know to four thousand followers or something um Mm. everything i shoot is um is something that like made me feel something or someone who's important or a place that's important or something yeah. that I thought looked really fucked up and like, you know, I, I wanted to take a picture of it for later kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But I've never really been driven by the idea of like, you know, I need to take these photos for engagement. And yeah. I think that's what has helped people connect with my photos a bit is that because the intention behind them is is different they have a different feeling than some of the other stuff that's out there and yeah i've noticed that too and i I don't know if you've noticed this but like you could see like a really good photo and be like wow that's like a really good photo but it feels empty like it it doesn't give you a feeling when you look at it but you can appreciate it's a technically good photo yeah but it just feels empty have seen a lot of old magazines I used to really love the content they used to repost and I've unfollowed a lot of them recently because I just haven't you know felt anything towards any of their content um which makes me really sad because I used to love following magazines to find photographers Mm. and uh I want to be always surrounded by art so I was like you know I don't want to unfollow these people but at the same time it just you know I was seeing all these really nice technically beautiful images but I didn't feel anything towards them and I had no emotional connection and and I do want that my friend Franklin who's his at is analog fps um he and I talk about this a lot where uh you know we talk a lot about purpose and intention and composition especially Mm -hmm. how you can tell when somebody has taken a photo with the intention of composition and purposeful composition like, why are you composing like this, you know? Um, and it, it was really great to hear how he actually, we, we noticed this in each other's work. Um, and he, he specializes in portraiture and, and it's amazing. His work is absolutely stunning. And every portrait is beautifully composed. And he really, he captures these people's features and their emotions just so beautifully. 
Um, and in my own work, you kind of noticed how in one of my self-portraits where I was going to make it a series, but I ended up just wanting to put out one of them and keeping the rest. It was on facial self-hatred where, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm lying on the floor of um, Penumbra Studios. And uh, I kind of have like my hair cascading forward and I'm kind of curled up on the floor surrounded by um, contact boxes. And, um, you know, the composition, I really wanted it to be like this. There's lots of reflections on the glass with the contact sheets and I used Dinistil, so it's very... uh, it was black and white, the BXX, which is amazing, by the way. It is a beautiful film stock. Yes. And, you know, just the, the way that the image I kind of put it together was very, like, there's all these things around me. You know, there's all these different textures, reflections, these little bits that kind of give context. But then, you know, in the middle, I'm kind of, like, curled up almost, like, in, like, this fetal position. And it's very, it, it draws you in. Um, and, uh and it's very interesting to see that notice and I'm glad that it's noticed and I'm always happy to hear if I've composed intentionally that I got that across and that that's clear. And, uh, I, I think because of that now in a lot of other people's work that I really love and some people, you know, I, I used to really be into their work and now, you know, it's not so much my thing or maybe I, you know, whatever. Um, I, I'm glad that now I'm a little bit more selective about thinking through things more critically and thinking, okay, how is this, how is this photograph made? And then how was this photograph composed and was it composed purposefully? I think there's a lot you can get out of that. Um, And I, I don't think I always did that either. There's a lot of projects where I look back and I go, I just didn't care. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to photograph that moment and I regret it. Even though it's a fine photograph, I just, I, I wish, you know, that I'd been more intentional. That's fair. Yeah. Like yeah. An intention makes a huge difference. Um, yeah. And, it makes all the difference. It, it, yeah, it really does. Um, and also a double X is, it's one of my favorite um, films. It it's, is beautiful. It's, that, yeah. it's just, it, I, the first time I used it, I was like, I, I can't, I can't shoot anything else. It was 120 in my Hasselblad and it was just like incredible. Triax used to be my favorite and I, and it still changed me. I keep telling everyone, <laughs> everyone I meet who's like a Kodak head, I'm like, you have to try Sinistil though. I, that's like one of my, my kind of fixations lately is like, I'm very, very into film stock, especially mm-hmm. because I'm so into aesthetics. Um, I was at a portfolio review and I think I talked the guy's ear off about the Fuji Pro 400H, but you know, um, I think, you know, being purposeful with a film stock can also make the world a difference and it's harder right now because it's, you know, our industry is very, uh, saturated and not many new stocks coming out. And, you know, Fuji is kind of closing down some of their stuff and it's just like kind of a mess right now with pricing, but I still think like I would rather spend $15 on the right stock than five on the wrong one. Um, and I can do that. So I'm lucky, but I think there's something to be said about, you know, being selective 
I think it's really interesting. Or at least knowing film stocks really well and knowing how to use them. So if you can't afford that $15 stock, okay, well, how can I use what I have to my best advantage? And how can I kind of, you know, use this to its fullest extent, even when you're getting into developing? You know, I, I've, I've heard a lot about, you know, Kentmere versus HP5 and versus the Delta series and how you can, yeah. if you want something very specific, get into your dark room and try to, you know, push it. Try to figure out how can I make this as close to what I need. Um, I think it's really interesting. I think that people need to start talking about film stocks more in a analytical way and less than like, Oh my God, Cinestill neon sign, which is awesome. It looks great. <laughs> it does look great. Okay. Like it does. It <clears> looks <throat> amazing. And Cinestill has the whole halogen effect and it's, it's incredible. Like what they've done and you know, movie making film is like very cool. Yeah. However, I think it's also like more complex and I think we should have more conversations like that. It's all Kodak. Yeah. Even, even the double X. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, for 35 millimeter, you can find cheaper double X than Cinestill. Um, mm. I think Cinestill is the only ones that are cutting it in medium format, though. Um, yeah, I think so. Because I tried to find some, like, you know, there's a lot of, I, I think that people forget, like, there's a lot of dupes and there's a lot of, like, you know, corners you can cut, but there are a few film stocks where I'm just like, you can't find it anywhere else and I need it. No, you can't. Like um, the camera store that I used to use in Toronto a lot, Downtown Camera, they were doing their own rolls of uh, Eastman Double X, which is what Cinestill Double mm. X is, and um, yeah. they were like eight bucks cheaper than than mm-hmm. Cinestill. So it adds yeah. up after time. But yeah, it's such a nice film. If you like that one, another one that you should try um, is uh, Ferrania P thirty. Mm, never heard of it it's an italian film it's merciless um (laughs) but if you if you nail your exposure it Mm -hmm. rewards you with some of the most beautiful contrasty photos you'll ever see because it apparently is like um the highest like silver um content film that exists so it has like the most silver it's gorgeous it's so gorgeous like the first roll of it that i shot i thought i fucked it all up because it came out dark and a little muddy um Mm -hmm. and i like i thought my exposure was um was right like because like it it was just how i shot like other um 80 iso black and white films um Mm -hmm. but then i took a look at them again i was like fuck like these are actually really good like you get all this interesting detail in the darks Mm-hmm. Like the shadow detail is really interesting and just, Oh, that's great. The way it comes yeah. out, it's just, it's really dreamy. Um, mm-hmm. like it's, I gotta check that out. Yeah. It's, it's cool totally film. my thing. I, I think you dig it. Like it's, um, it'll probably take you a roll or two to get happy with it. Um, mm-hmm. but then once you figure it out, like it's such a cool film. Um, yeah. Ferrania P30. I'll have to look into it. Yeah, I, I'm trying to branch out also to other brands and like kind of finding a little bit more than just, you know, what's in the basic canon. Is that a thing? I'm going to call it the basic canon of yeah. like, you know, the it films. Um, but I'm trying to trying to branch out a little bit. I still love Triax a lot. Like that's, it's kind of Trix my... Triax is great. 
It's yeah. just, I, it's been replaced in my heart, you know? <laughs> I, I have to agree. So it's like my top black and white film, double X, but mm-hmm. like for yeah. just everyday shooting, like when I did my road trip across the States a few weeks back, yeah, um, I shot a lot of tri X on that one. Um, if I'm shooting good. 35, is usually either Tri-X or like Delta 100 are That's kind of my go-to's. If I'm doing street photography, it's Delta usually. Um, and if I'm doing something more like, and this is just what I've noticed in myself, like uh, if I'm doing something where I'm specifically making prints or because I love the grain structure on Tri-X or um, I'm doing like something a little bit more fine art with lighting, I usually go for the triax. I'm not really, you know, I, I, I'm sure I have a reason for it, but I just, I I think it's the grain structure that I really, really, really like. It it has a really nice grain structure too. I think that's why it's so popular for some street stuff. I really love, uh, T max 3200. Cause I have never shot that. I've shot T max, but not, not 3200 so the 3200 is is pretty cool because it's super gritty like it's it's like it's it's so grungy like you get this Mm -hmm. like it's a it's really coarse grain to it and Mm -hmm. um like sometimes you almost get like sandy looking photos like if it's like really really dark and so it's just like such a moody film and i've compared it to Ilford's 3200 and I mm-hmm. I like the Kodak more like it's just really um I don't know the Ilford seem more reserved like you, you'd get more of that grunge from the Kodak than you do mm-hmm. with the Ilford um so if you've never tried it that it's it's a fun one for doing street shooting because like I, I find that sort of grittiness lends well to street photography yeah, especially if you're really into aesthetics. I have three rolls of Ilford 3200 in my freezer that have gone untouched. Um, I need to shoot those. And I, I'm going to try out the T-Max once I'm done. I love doing like self-portraits and broad daylight with 3200. I think it's so interesting. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I, I had this one professor who I did not get along with in school. <laughs> and... And that, uh, and she hated gritty film. She hated anything over 200, um, right. like 200 speed. And she was, she would like, she would mark down my, my work for being too grainy. And I was very upset. Um, but yeah, it was like really weird. And so for like a year, I just like, you know, because I was in a program, I, I just didn't shoot as much grainy stuff. And now like, you know, I'm really getting back into it where it's like, I just, love grain i love grain structure i think you know yes you could argue the details lost but it really depends on your film and it really depends on how you're developing and i think i think you can just get these like really interesting layered images um really play around with depth when you're when you're shooting 3200 i think it's a great speed i think that you know also it's interesting like i i've done some stuff at FIT and, you know, I mostly with high school students, but I've always kept up with, um, projects and, you know, their exhibitions. And like a couple years ago, I don't remember how long ago this was, but it was a project that was done on like a really high speed film and then smoothened out. And it just made me so sad because it was this beautiful, beautiful. I, I knew what film it was. It was, I think it was portrait 
800 pushed to 1600, mm. which is beautiful. So beautiful. And yeah. if you, yeah. And it just made me so sad because I'm like, we need to embrace our grain structure. We really do. It's beautiful. Have grainy images. Like if you want something that's not grainy, don't smooth it out. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, shoot low speed. Um, but I think we need to embrace the grain. That should be a trend. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That really should be a trend. Honestly. I, I think I've seen like a, a button or a sticker that says embrace the grain on it. And that would be awesome. I, I completely agree with that. Like, it's just, I don't know. Sometimes like all of the detail doesn't matter. Like it's not going to make the photo better. Like sometimes yeah. having that sort of like elusiveness in it with like some of the grain or some softness in mm-hmm. there um, really tra- uh, really changes the emotion of it. Yeah. JP's yeah. like hashtag no pain, no grain. <laughs> Exactly. Yes. Like um, that. when when Jason Lee was shooting a plain view with mm-hmm. his four by five, he purposefully picked like this old, janky, a little bit fogged up, scratched like Ektar lens for his four by five because he wanted the photos to come out softer. Like he didn't want to have them coming out like you know perfect with like a fresh lens because he wanted to have a more depth and feeling. And so it's like. You know, yeah, that's something to think about too. Is like what kind of emotion? I think that goes into the intention of like you know when you're planning on making photos or whatever. It's like what kind of vibe, what kind of feel do you want? And yeah, and it, that's I it. think that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, no. Yeah, I'll I'll remember. I think that uh, like it's very interesting, especially with like Polaroids and scanning Polaroids and choosing like what. Um, texture to keep in Mm. you know sometimes you get some extra texture from your scanner or whatever if you're you know even if you're shooting with you have an adapter in your scanner but it's very interesting to see like how taking away certain marks or maybe like you know flaws in the emulsion really changes the mood and the tone of an image Um, and because I shoot a lot of Polaroid you know I'm always like should I really remove this I don't think, like, most of the time my answer is no. Um, unless it's, like, a very big technical flaw that's kind of ruining the image, which I can't really recall of anything recent that I've kind of said that. But I'm sure it could happen. But I love it when, like, there's a little bit of spotting. Like, yeah. and it's not perfect and it feels like a Polaroid. Like, I, because it's not, I'm not shooting digital. I'm shooting analog and there might be something extraneous that happens. And uh, I think it's really interesting, like deciding, making those decisions and, and kind of playing with tone and mood and thinking, how is that going to influence, um, like, the atmosphere of this image? Well, and also Polaroid's janky as fuck. And so, like, oh, yeah. I kind of get <laughs> a little, like, upset and pissed sometimes when people start shitting on it. It's like, Polaroid's garbage. Like, it, the photos turn out like shit. And it's like... What do you expect, though? Like, it's still kind of an experimental film. Like, they had to remake this shit. And it's a lot better than it used to be. But they're still, like, refining it. Because, like, the really great cancer-causing chemicals that made old Polaroids so perfect, they can't get them anymore. They can't do it. So, be patient. (laughs) Exactly. But, like... It also gives an interesting feeling when you when you shoot with Polaroids because 
sometimes maybe you'll get like a weird streak or something or like, you know, mm-hmm. it, you never know what's going to happen. So it's like, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. They're almost like a little living thing. Cause like, you know, when you push the button, you're birthing an image out of it. Like yeah. a little adventure. Definitely. Yeah. It is a little yeah. adventure. And it's like, you know, is it too cold? Is it too hot for it? Did you like let it see too much sun before you tucked it away somewhere while it's developing? Like there's so many different variables that can affect um, the end result. And then scanning is a, is a whole nother thing, which reminds me, I still have to give away a camera dactyl scanner. So, um, <laughs> you know, uh, or scanning plate. I have not forgotten <laughs> about it. I just suck at life lately. So um, stay tuned, people. I will be probably posting something next week on that one. We'll do like a raffle or some shit. Um, yeah. Excited for that. <laughs> Dude, it's, it's cool. Like I, he gave me one and it changed my life with scanning. Best thing ever. Really? Um, I have a, like an old Epson and I'm tired. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of work. Well, so but... it's like you still use your regular scanner, but it's like a plate that you like put the photos in mm. and you can scan four mm, photos at a time nice. and then you, you don't get nice. you don't get newton rings because it's it holds it above the glass so no more newton rings yeah i've seen those oh my god awesome yeah i, need yeah. Some of those. I think oh. i have one i have one for uh in stack mini because i got really i had like an in stack phase for a little bit which by the way in stack mini can be really really great um, if it's you so like great. work with it the right way, it can be awesome. And I love insect wide. Nick actually gave me some insect wide. Uh, thank God for Nick. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, yeah, I think that, uh, those scanner adapters, like they're just to die for. They need to make an insect wide one. Actually. That's my like one thing I haven't been able to find. I think he does. I, if you check out the really? camera, yeah, check out the camera okay. dactyl website. And, uh, camera dactyl. I got mine yeah. through Brooklyn film. Yeah. They make the, so camera dactyl makes them for Brooklyn film camera. Off to, off yeah. to double check. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what I was going to say was, uh, experimenting with film stocks is an important one too. So you can understand feels of things. Cause, um, mm-hmm. You know, when, when you play around with film stocks and you start to know like, Oh, I'm feeling this kind of vibe. I'm going to shoot this kind of film. Um, yeah, it's an expensive trial and error thing, but it's, it's worth it. It is, it, and especially Polaroid has gotten <laughs> so expensive. Um, like I, I've had you redo my freelance pricing so much because, you know, people really want Polaroid and it is so expensive. And then I have to account, you know, for error and bracketing and it's just, it's, it's so, it's worth it. Um, but it is such a longer process and it's a lot more complicated. Um, but I, I do remember like I had this one anecdote about, you know, shooting Polaroid where I was shooting a project a year ago, I guess. Yeah, it was a year ago. And, uh, and I, it was my Juliet and Juliet project and we were shooting just some like extras on Polaroid and all I could afford at the time. I was so even more broke than I am now. I had this one pack of Polaroid that I could afford and I, I, uh, I, I, we shot like the eight images and um, we were like the, the entire thing was like we were up against this wall in the East village and um, we were like handing off our cigarettes and it was like a metaphor for intimacy. And, uh, and we like, were trying to get the flash to work and the flash on the SX 70 wasn't working. And I was just like laughing so hard. And then the flash all of a sudden after like 30 seconds goes off and the picture takes 
And it's the only photo I have of myself in my entire life laughing. Oh, I've awesome. never, like, I've never had a photo of myself laughing in my, cause I, I'm so self-conscious, you know, growing up in front of the camera. And, uh, I just think like Polaroid in that way, like, yes, is it a pain in the ass? Absolutely. Sometimes it is. And sometimes you're just like, God, I'm doing everything right. And I'm still, my rollers are, I clean them and they're just making everything look weird. And what am I doing wrong? At the same time, sometimes you get those happy accidents with Polaroid and it's just like, I'll have this forever. And this is just that image that, you know, I'll never forget I have. And it's, it's like a very, I know people are mad at Polaroid right now, Mm. but it's a really important medium. I think, I think it's a really part, important part of analog. Yeah. Well, like I'm glad they exist so that we can still shoot these cameras that like technically should be garbage right now. Like, you know, if, oh, yeah. if, uh, Florian didn't step up and save all this shit, like, you know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be here right now because Polaroid was a big part of how this all happened. Um, if you want to cut costs down though, um, one thing I did that's helped me like make Polaroid a little bit more, um, affordable, um, is shooting eye type in all of my cameras. So I bought like yeah. a battery pack for my SLR 680s. Um, mm. and then when you buy in, uh, five packs, you get a, a cheaper rate. So it's like, I've done that. Yeah. I, yeah buying in bulk and then, yeah. It's like, you got to stack even, up a little bit. So, yeah. Yeah. And then you get the points. So it's like, I think if I you, do, yeah. Yeah. If, if you buy like two, five packs, you get like 20,000 points or something, which like, Oh, I did not know about the points. I don't yeah. think I have an account. I should get an account. Sign up for an account because yeah. like every time you get um, like a certain amount, they give you like a, a discount code for like, you know, 10, 25 bucks, something like that. And so like mm-hmm. I've stacked up those codes to pay up for a bunch of stuff too. And oh, like that's. I need to do this. This is like the most helpful stuff. Yeah. This is the stuff we need. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so we it's like if you want to get into Polaroid photography, the best place to buy the film is straight from Polaroid.com. yeah i always have said that to like the kids who are into you know wanting to get into um polaroid i'm always like just buy it directly from polaroid they don't have the markup um yeah there isn't the markup and you're always going to get the freshest shit and Mm -hmm. the points program is really good and uh like if you're shooting sx70 cameras um you know look at getting it converted to 600 or even just using Mm -hmm. nd filters Mm-hmm. Um, and then like the Resovot back, uh, battery pack they're mm-hmm. I think they're like 150 bucks or something like that. Um, so it's like, you have to invest a little bit, but then it starts being like super cheap because you just buy like the eye type stuff. And, um, yeah. you know, that it's more than $5 off a pack when you start buying it in bulk because like, wow, it's already cheaper because it doesn't different. have a battery. Yeah. Like, I think it's almost yeah. like seven or eight bucks less a, a pack. Wow. Yeah, it's a huge difference. I'm always so particular because I do like that the SX-70 specifically has the lower ASA. Yeah. And that is nice. Like, it, the look is just stunning. But sometimes for freelance work or just I'm trying to make it more accessible, um, something like that would be really great. Like, there's, there's some specific images where I'm like, it has to be like very you know very low grain well i mean not grain but 
very low speed, but a lot of the time, I think, uh, I think, I think I might invest in that actually. Well, I think like, um, depending on who you get it to modify it, you can actually get a switch put in so you can flip back and forth between 600 and, and 100. So like nice. you can still use, um, like a SX 70 film, no problem. Um, and then yeah, like exactly. flip over to use eye type. So it's, um, I don't know. It's worked really exactly good for me. Yeah, Polaroid's fun, but a lot of money. Yeah. That's kind of like, I think actually, that's a lie. Before I got into 35, I did shoot a little bit of Polaroid. And I got one of those one-step plus cameras. I totally forgot about that. Um, and I did self-portraits on there as well. Um, and that was really fun. Those like one-step cameras are they're a little cheesy, like, you know, but they're, they're actually pretty, uh, they're pretty cool, especially when you have the app and, you know, you have everything in manual. And I think, I think it can be really interesting. That was a good intro. I, uh, I think that, you know, like having a fully manual Polaroid camera like that, where you have a Bluetooth connection and you can kind of, you know, manipulate it. I think that was really probably good for me as a student. I, kind of they're a really them. underrated camera like yeah it's a lot of people shit on it because it's plastic and it's cheesy and mm-hmm. like whatever it's a garbage camera um but i love my one step plus like um i did my whole like i did a book when i was in quarantine that was shot mostly mm-hmm. with that camera because i was all by myself in my house and didn't have like anyone else that could take my picture so i used the app a ton on it and uh it's a great little camera, like excellent starter camera. It really is. It's kind of really uh, impressive, honestly, with like all the Bluetooth stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just hated the fucking focus switch because um, I would ruin photos all the time because I'd forget to flip the focus switch. Yep. So yep. I'm, I'm glad that they fixed that. That was a pain. It's such a pain. So I'm glad they fixed that in the Now Plus because it has like autofocus. So you don't have to fuck with the focus switch. So like, I... Uh, yeah, I got mine before they changed it because yeah. mine still has the, God, I haven't pulled it out in forever, but it still has the, uh, the focus switch. Yeah. My, my friend, Daniela Ligori, who's amazing. And she, uh, she likes the self portraiture and, and she was the one who recommended it. And she has an SE 600 or something like that. Like one is a really, you know, the, the, our dream camera. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and I remember, like, I just, I think having a really accessible Polaroid like that, where you can kind of manipulate it a lot more, and it's a lot more manual, Mm -hmm. um, I think it's really great. And I don't agree with everything Polaroid has ever done, but I certainly, like, have respect for them in that sense, how they didn't, like, just stay with, like, the SX-70 kind of formula for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Is pretty cool. I, I yeah, lots of love for Polaroid. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Honestly, instant film just needs all the love because there's so much to explore there. It does. Um, yeah, I'm a huge fan of, of instant film. Like, I've been um, you know, part of the Instant Film Society for a while, and uh, mm. have lots of homies in the Polaroid world. So it's um, something that's near and dear to me. Yeah, 
I will never ever part with my SX70. I just that that camera is just insane. I'm very into the technology behind it. Like I just think it's so interesting how it works and the autofocus is just like one of the most amazing things. And uh, yeah, I I think like a lot of the time, like I get the question, you know, what's your favorite camera? And I'm never going to be able to narrow it down to one, but I would say the SX70 is probably one of my, you know, in my top five, like of all time. Um, because it is just, so unique and uh, it's kind of fascinating it's amazing the whole thing around it is fast like the story behind its creation yeah its name yeah like integral film um the sonar autofocus is interesting too. that's what i have yeah i have the sonar and it's just out of this world well yeah so the sonar autofocus on your camera is derived from military technology which yep. is kind of a wild it's amazing. thing. It's yeah. so cool. <laughs> like it was um, Polaroid borrowed from the missile guidance system that they created for the U.S. military to build mm. the sonar autofocus system. Amazing. How like yeah. just camera technology in general, but especially with the SX-70, I love to get on. It's just like the most, even like that that part and like, uh, the uh, just the creation behind it is just so unique. Like, what other camera can you say that about? I'm yeah. sure there's some. There's definitely some that use infrared, but still, um, you know, it's really cool. Well, it's just. I think it's one of the. Um, I think it's one of the most beautiful cameras that was ever made. Like, just the whole folding yeah. mechanism and everything. Like, I remember the first time I saw it, I was like holy shit this is a massive it's kind of like, like magic it, it is yeah. magic and and like yeah. you know <laughs> i was crossing the border to go pick up some film because i get it shipped to like an american mailbox and, oh my god um, the guy was like what's that thing on your back seat i'm like it's a camera he's like no it's not and i'm like it, that's a camera sir like i uh, he's like i that. promise yeah and he's like no it's not so it's like i grabbed it and i opened it up and he's like holy shit and i'm like yeah it's a camera yeah i love showing it to people whenever <laughs> like i bring it a lot of the time i bring it like with students and i'll be like okay guys i know you've never shot analog before but and i'll do the whole thing i'll be like pop it up and they're like wow like that's so amazing and it is like it's so nice that you have like even with like such a simple you know it's a pretty simple camera. I mean, yeah. it's very easy to understand the technology behind it, but just like, it's so magical. Like it's so fun. And, and it's a, uh, yeah, I always say like, you know, that's one of the cameras I'm most passionate about. I love that thing. I do too. It's a really beautiful camera. I appreciate you hanging out with me. Uh, yeah. Tonight. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. We, we talked about a lot of different things, which I think was fun. I hope uh, you had a good time. No, I did. We covered, like, so many topics. <laughs> oh, my God. We we did the whole history. We did Polaroid, NFTs. I mean, we got everything here. Yeah. We, we got a bit of everything. Um, I think that's a, I think it's a happy place to uh, put a pin in it. Yeah, um, can I sign off? Yeah. Was there anything you wanted to share with... Um, with everyone before uh we uh we have the outro music no i don't think so um i'm just happy you know everyone came and saw 
uh, talk about things. I'm very grateful. Um, also, my gallery opening is May 2023. Oh. Just a little promo. It's in Paris, so I'm not sure if anybody here is in Paris, but if you are, stop by. Um, I'm going to have, like, you know, an RSVP up um, on my Instagram next spring, but I know it's kind of far in advance, but I just want to talk about it. Um, and, uh, yeah, just keep an eye out for that. That's upcoming. That's really freaking cool. My guest week yeah, after next excited. is in Paris, so, you know, maybe you link yeah. up with her. She does some cool yeah. work and... I might be in London in May next year. So depending on when your um, hey, thing is. stop by, yeah. you know. The train is like two hours now. I don't know. They have a bullet train, I think. So Yeah, I, I heard that. Stop so, by. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have yeah. check that out. Well, it's exciting. Great gallery. Well, Very exciting, yeah. Everyone stay tuned to uh, hear more about her gallery opening for next year. And, yeah. uh Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I'm going to have Mr. Mocha walk us out here. Um, thank you again for hanging out with me. Yeah, and uh, everyone for tuning in. It was, as always, a lot of fun. Um, next week, I'm going to have uh, Matthew Burt on here, also known as Notorious Film on the Instagram. So uh, tune in to hang out uh, with us there. And then the week after that, uh, I'm going to have uh, Marianne Freed on, uh, who is in Paris currently. So, yeah. Fabulous. Thanks, everyone, for hanging awesome. out. Thank yeah. you, guys. <laughs> Thanks for everyone who came by. Bye, guys. Stay safe out there. Take care.